Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please make sure the volume of this podcast is set perfectly to your listening enjoyment. Please take your seat, whether that's on the treadmill, car, sofa, or bed, and buckle in for the last trip. My name is Jamie Beebe, and I'll be your tour guide, recreating someone's last days in paradise. On behalf of myself and everyone behind the scenes, please enjoy the Last Trip podcast. And because nobody likes a long flight to get to where they want to be, let's prepare for takeoff. Our victim today is Elijah Snow, a 35-year-old man from Arlington, Texas, who traveled to Cancun, Mexico in July of 2021. Elijah was in Cancun with his wife to celebrate their 10th wedding anniversary. The couple had gotten drinks at the hotel bar on the first night of their vacation, but at some point in the evening, his wife, Jamie Snow, decided to go back to their room while Elijah stayed to finish his drink. When his wife woke up around 4 a.m. and realized he still hadn't come back to the room, she began searching for him. What happened to Elijah Snow? And guys, there's a lot of mystery surrounding this one. So let's dive in. Cancun is an extremely popular vacation destination. It's located on the coast of the Yucatan Peninsula in the Mexican state of Quintana Roo. And it's insanely gorgeous. Turquoise seas, powdery white sand beaches, and vibrant coral reefs. The interesting thing about Cancun is that it was a planned city to create tourism. On January 23rd, 1970, development started, and there were only three residents there who were all caretakers of the coconut plantation in the area. There was a nearby fishing village and military base in Puerto Yares that housed about 117 people. So it was a fairly desolate place up until they started building the resorts. And investors were reluctant to gamble on an unknown tourist development. So the Mexican federal government actually stepped in and financed the first nine hotels. Since then, Cancun has transformed from being a tiny fisherman's village to being one of the most well-known Mexican resorts in the world. I know people have a tendency to think of drug trafficking when they think of Mexico, but up until very recently, Cancun was extremely safe, and most of the drug trafficking is retail sales to tourists. In the past 10 years or so, murders and violent crimes have risen in Cancun, and in January of 2019, Cancun saw its first decrease in international passengers. I love Cancun, and I've always felt safe when I visited. Most of the violent crime does come from drug cartels, but a lot of what you see in the American news channels is exaggerated and just fear-mongering. If you're not buying drugs and interacting with the cartel, then you're likely to be just fine. The water in Cancun is a warm 79 to 84 degrees year-round, and the annual average temperature is a humid 81 degrees. To me, that is the perfect temperature. Cancun has long been a spring break destination for college kids because there are great parties, bars, plenty of people to meet, and it's relatively easy to get there from anywhere in the United States. But there's so much more to Cancun than just bars and partying. There are some amazing attractions in the area that I highly recommend checking out. Chichenitsa was a large pre-Columbian city built by the Maya people, and it's now a phenomenal archaeological site. It's about a two and a half hour drive from Cancun and well worth it. Another exciting experience around Cancun is to visit the Cinotes, which are natural pits or sinkholes resulting from the collapse of limestone bedrock that exposes groundwater. Basically, they're like giant water caves that you can explore and swim around in. The Cinotes are a great spot for getting those awesome Instagram photos you see on all the travel influencer pages. 
There's also tequila tasting, zip linings, ATV tours, horseback riding, boat rentals, and lots of shopping. You can take a quick boat ride to Isla Mujeres and stay in the conch shell house. It's a surreal house in the shape of a conch shell that literally looks like it washed up on shore. It rents for about $500 a night and comes with a pool and a variety of friendly iguanas. If you're like me and love visiting unique cemeteries, the Sea View Cemetery is also on Isla Mujeres, just a short walk from the conch house. The tombs are on a cliff overlooking the Caribbean. The views are breathtaking. Overall, Cancun is a great place to visit. You can stay in the resorts and lay on the beach all day or get off the beaten path and explore all the wonderful things that Mexico has to offer. Hey guys, I hope you're all enjoying the Last Trip podcast. I'm excited to tell you about my bikini company, The Boyfriend Bikini. Now, I love traveling, especially to warm tropical beaches, and I found myself always searching for the perfect travel bikini. Something sexy, great for any occasion, and easy to stuff in my bag when I'm on the go. So I took all the best bikini ideas, worked with a fashion designer in Paris and a manufacturer in Bali to create my new swimwear company, The Boyfriend Bikini. You know that saying about how girls level up after a relationship ends? They travel more, get hotter, and start a new business? Well, that's exactly what I did. The Boyfriend Bikini is about taking control of your happiness, personal growth, and being a total girl boss. I've named each bikini after a type of man I know, good and bad, because each one helped me grow into who I am today. When you order your favorite Boyfriend Bikini, you'll get the story behind the man that inspired that bikini. And because you listened to the last trip, I'm giving you 10% off your order by using code TRAVEL. Also, a portion of all sales will go to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Just go to theboyfriendbikini.com and use code TRAVEL to get 10% off your order. That's theboyfriendbikini.com, code TRAVEL to get 10% off your order. Happy traveling! Elijah Snow and his wife, Jamie, wanted to enjoy the sun and sand on their 10th wedding anniversary in Cancun. I watched a Dr. Phil interview with Elijah's wife that aired on September 13th, 2021. It's a really emotional interview where she discusses what she thinks happened to her husband and what authorities have been doing since. That episode of Dr. Phil is a great place to start if you're interested and want more information about the case. Elijah was born August 30th, 1985 in Fort Worth, Texas to Ronnie and Alicia Snow. He was baptized when he was six years old at Tate Spring Baptist Church and then grew up in Arlington, Texas. He loved to play soccer and like any kid, he loved spending time with his family and friends. His father, Ronnie, was a firefighter who died in the line of duty and Elijah knew from a young age that he would follow in his father's footsteps to become a firefighter as well. He graduated from Tarleton State University in 2010 with a degree in nursing well on his way to pursuing his firefighting dreams. His mother had also remarried a firefighter, so becoming a firefighter was something that wasn't questioned in Elijah's family. Elijah met Jamie in 2006, and they had a fairy tale romance. They were made for each other. They were more than just best friends. Everyone said their love was immense, and you could see it in the way they looked at each other from across the room. I mean, don't we all wish for that type of relationship? They got married June 4th, 2011, and their love story continued to flourish. They had a bond of joy, passion, and they supported each other. The couple welcomed their first daughter, Aubrey, in 2015, and their second daughter, Hannah, in 2016. 
Elijah loved being a dad and he excelled at it. He was on the sidelines of all the soccer games, gymnastic meets, and swim lessons for his girls. He was an awesome girl dad, always smiling and excited to be around his family. Not only was Elijah a wonderful family man, but he was greatly loved by his friends and his community. He was the life of the party, he lit up the room when he walked in, and was always laughing and poking fun at the other firefighters. He was the type of guy that you could count on. At the drop of a hat, he'd be there if you needed him. Before his death, he had been a fireman for eight years and had just gotten a promotion at work. He was a hero in every sense of the word. He loved firefighting, and being a firefighter was a higher calling for him. He practiced healthy living and was extremely fit and in shape, did CrossFit consistently, and was very passionate about working out. Also, vacationing in Cancun wasn't new to the couple because Elijah and his wife usually went to Mexico every year for their anniversary and would always stay at an all-inclusive resort for relaxation and safety. They weren't the type to leave the resort and go on any excursions, but rather they were there to relax. Elijah was that guy hanging out at the pool all day, making friends with everyone that walked by. Jumping into the beginning of their trip, Elijah and Jamie woke up in Texas around 3 a.m. to catch an early flight kicking off their vacation. They flew from Texas to Cancun and checked in at the Royalton Chic Suites Hotel on July 18th around 12 p.m. When they got there, they hit the hotel pool, hanging out all day, having drinks, making friends with other guests. And when the room was finally ready at 4 p.m., they left the pool area and went to clean up and relax before dinner. Dinner was at an Asian-themed restaurant within the resort at about 8.40 p.m. After dinner, around 9.30, they went to the martini bar inside their hotel by the club area for drinks, but it was a little crowded and loud, so they hit the first floor lobby instead to enjoy a drink. I read on some news sites that the couple had a minor argument, and after that first drink, Jamie decided to go to bed. This was around 10 or 10.30, but Elijah decided to stay for one more drink. During the Dr. Phil interview, Jamie said that she was just tired from getting up early to start their vacation and then drinking all day, so she went to bed. Either way, the reason she decided to go to bed is insignificant. Looking back through their day, I assume they were at least pretty buzzed. They consumed several margaritas and drinks at the pool, a bottle of sake at dinner, and a dirty martini at the lobby bar after dinner. It wasn't unusual for Elijah to stay up for long hours at a time because he was a firefighter, so he was used to it. Also, important to note, it wasn't like Elijah was planning to stay out all night and party or even head back to the other club, because due to COVID rules at the time, all the bars and clubs were shutting down at 11 p.m. Jamie left her husband at the lobby bar and made her way to the elevators up to her room and went to sleep. She woke up at about 4 a.m. and realized her husband wasn't in bed and hadn't returned, but she didn't panic right away. She thought maybe he had met up with some of the friends he made earlier in the day at the pool and continued drinking, perhaps falling asleep on someone's couch in another room or in the lounge chairs by the pool. So she started walking around the resort and searching for her husband by the pool, in the lobby, really anywhere that maybe he took a seat after drinking and had fallen asleep. At 5 a.m. when she still hadn't found him, she notified the hotel staff that he was missing. By the time she notified the staff, she was significantly more worried. But still, she thought he'd probably fallen asleep in someone else's room on the couch after continuing to drink. The hotel staff said they'd notify their security as well as security at the surrounding hotels to keep an eye out for him. Jamie continued her search. She walked all the floors of the hotel and checked the beach and the pool area several times. 
Unfortunately, Elijah had left his phone in the rental car when they arrived at the hotel, so calling him or using the GPS locator on his phone wouldn't be of any help. By this point, it was completely out of character for him to be missing this long. Jamie knew that he wouldn't have left the hotel or gone on any excursions or even gone to town for coffee or anything, since everything they needed was at the hotel and he had never left the resort on any of their previous trips. Elijah was a really cautious person and safety was a big concern for him, so he wouldn't have gone anywhere on his own, especially without telling his wife. At 8.30 a.m., Jamie called the Mexican police and at 10.30 she went with a hotel staff member to meet with the authorities at the police station. Things were happening in slow motion for her and just didn't seem real. I can't imagine the terror and anxiety she felt searching for her husband. The authorities weren't giving this missing person case much priority and it took a while for them to give her their attention. At 11.30 a.m., she finally met with police officers to give her statement. After she told them everything she knew, the officers pulled out a photo of Elijah's driver's license. This had to be that oh shit moment for her, that moment when her world came crashing down, that hot, sick feeling you get in your stomach when something is really, really wrong. Having a photo of his driver's license meant they knew more than she did about the whereabouts of her husband because he had his driver's license on him in his wallet. So the only way they had a copy was from him. But they wouldn't tell her right away how they got the driver's license. Instead, they continued questioning her. Finally, the hotel staff member that had taken her to the police station told her that Elijah had been found dead in a window at a neighboring resort, the Sunset Royale. This resort was under construction, so it wasn't anywhere that Elijah should have been found. It wasn't like he met someone and went to the resort next door for drinks or anything like that. I can't imagine the confusion Jamie felt hearing that her husband was dead, especially being in a foreign country and not knowing the language. In fact, she said she didn't believe it at first, since all they would show her was a copy of his driver's license. She told the hotel staffer that she wanted to see his body to make sure it was him, but they didn't allow her to see him right away. She had to go back to the hotel and wait until about 3 p.m. when she was finally taken to the hospital to identify his body. Even then, she wasn't actually allowed to see his physical body. They only showed her a photo of his face on a computer screen. And just to see that photo, she had to bribe the officers with $100. She was then made to pay another $100 for each photo they showed her. That's absolutely appalling to me. But again, this is kind of how things work in Mexico. It can be pretty corrupt, especially within the legal system. She ended up paying $600 just to see enough photos of her dead husband on a computer screen to be confident in identifying his body. When she asked to take a photo of the screen to share with her family, they eventually let her take one photo of the photo on the screen, but also made her pay for that too. This whole time, she was begging them to let her see his body. She was upset and in extreme disbelief that this was even happening. And it was especially difficult because they didn't let her see his actual body. Their reasoning for this was because they told her it wasn't a death of natural causes. And this is going to come into play more later on, but they did originally tell her his cause of death would be on the death certificate as murder without suspect. We find out later that is not what ended up on his death certificate. When Elijah's body was released to the funeral home, Jamie was finally able to physically see her husband. 
Their friends and family had arrived in Mexico by this time, getting the first flight there as soon as they found out. Finally, Jamie and Elijah's stepdad were allowed to see the body. They took their own photos, literally picking him up and moving him around to get accurate photos so they could determine what really happened to him. Explaining the ordeal to People News, Jamie said, It was like an out-of-body experience, but I knew I had to do it. I just felt like at that point to get my answers, I was going to have to do it myself. It was so emotional to hear her describe that, explaining how she was apologizing and talking to him the whole time. I don't think I could have done that. As soon as they saw him, it was obvious that the amount of trauma to his body did not add up to being stuck in a window. He had bruises all over his legs, back, neck, and head. He had a cylinder indentation in his forehead that looked like he was hit by some kind of an object. And a lot of bruises throughout his body were also circular looking. Nothing was matching up with being stuck in a window. He had several bruises on his thighs that looked exactly like shoe prints. I've mentioned that he was found in a window, so let me explain what that window was like the best I can. You can also join me on Patreon at The Last Trip Podcast and take a look at the crime scene photos with me and we'll break them down. The window is a square 18 inches by 18 inches and only a couple feet off the ground outside. Elijah was found inside the building going out through this window. His arms and shoulders were already outside the window and he could touch the ground with the upper half of his body. His lower half was inside the building dangling off the ground. On the outside of the window, there had been a wood covering nailed into the wall covering it, so Elijah would have had to use a crowbar or tool to remove that covering. And there was a crowbar found at the scene, so authorities said that's what he used. I've got to dive into this because there are so many things that don't add up. If Elijah came up to this abandoned building in this hotel that was not his hotel's property, how would he ever think that there was an opening behind a piece of wood on a building he'd never been to if he pried off the cover using a crowbar? It doesn't even look like it would be a covering for a window. That alone is simply something that no one is going to do. Even if he was walking around and needed to use the bathroom and for some reason didn't just pee outside like most people would, How would he know to pry off a wooden covering to find a window behind it that might lead to a bathroom? He would have absolutely no way of knowing there might be a bathroom in that abandoned building. Also, how he was found doesn't make any sense. Did he make it through the window and then go to the bathroom and then wasn't able to make it back out of the window to leave? Or was he on his way into the window thinking there was a bathroom in there, went in feet first, and then got stuck? None of those scenarios make sense. He was a firefighter. He's literally trained to go in and out of tight spaces like this. He would have known whether he was going to fit before he tried, and he'd know the best way to get in and not get stuck. Also, if he made it halfway through, feet first, and got stuck, wouldn't he just crawl back out the way he came in? He could touch the ground with the front half of his body, so he could have just crawled back out if he was going in that way. And had he died in the manner Mexican authorities claimed, stuck in that window, then his blood would have pooled at his feet, but the blood had pooled in his abdomen. Gravity says that's not feasible. And of course, none of their theories take into account that his whole body was severely beaten. There's no way he got that many cuts and bruises all over his whole body from being stuck in a window opening. Lastly, when he was found, his face and mouth was full of the dirt from the ground below him that he could touch with his hands and crawl out of. He would not have done that to himself. And on top of that, the autopsy report said the same dirt was found in his esophagus and lungs. There is zero explanation for any dirt to be found in his mouth, face, esophagus, or lungs. 
Mexican authorities ruled his cause of death on the death certificate as mechanical asphyxia due to thoracic abdominal compression, which in this case would mean that his weight was on his chest because he was stuck in the window so he couldn't breathe or move, causing him to die. They said he was trying to climb out of a restroom window, got stuck, and suffocated there. The family was not going to accept that, so they tried doing their own investigation, but they were up against a wall. The Royalton Chic Hotel, where they were staying, refused to share the surveillance footage, and the Sunset Royal, where he was found, said the cameras weren't working. Fearing for their safety and wanting to go home, the family cremated Elijah to honor his wishes, and they left Cancun. Jamie also reached out to the U.S. consulate in Mexico to try to get the surveillance footage, and she asked them to bring in the FBI, but she was told that the Mexican authorities were doing a sufficient investigation and the FBI was not needed. Nine months after Elijah's death, some camera footage was finally obtained by the U.S. consulate's office. What is showed is that only a few minutes after Jamie left the bar, Elijah entered the elevator area just as the elevator doors were closing with Jamie inside. From his viewpoint, Elijah saw the elevator doors closing but couldn't see that his wife was inside. And Jamie could also not see that Elijah was coming toward the elevator as the doors were closing. So neither of them had any idea just how close they were. Elijah allegedly appears to be intoxicated because he's stumbling and pressing the elevator call buttons. With no immediate response from the elevator, he walks over to the opposite end of the elevator area and begins going up a circular stairwell inside the front of the hotel. And this is the last time Elijah was seen alive. He was on his way to his room to join his wife. He decided to take the stairs because the elevator was taking too long. What happened from when he entered the staircase to when he was found dead is where the mystery begins. The Mexican police, along with the resort they stayed at and the resort Elijah's body was found in, have been no help. Dr. Phil's production company reached out to the police with no response. They reached out to the hotel the couple stayed at also with no response. And when they reached out to the Sunset Royal Hotel property that Elijah was found on, they received this statement. We can confirm a guest of our neighboring resort was found deceased on the Sunset Royal property the morning of July 19th. We are cooperating fully with the investigating authorities who have ruled the death an accident with no indications of foul play. This was a tragic, isolated incident, and our thoughts and prayers are with the family. And that statement was from David Barcinas, the hotel general manager. A year after that fateful vacation, Elijah's wife, Jamie, decided to sue the Let's Go on Vacay Travel Agency, the Sunwing Travel Group, the Royalton Chic Hotel Resort and Spa, as well as Blue Diamond Hotels and Resorts for over $1 million for loss of inheritance, mental anguish, and past and future loss of companionship. According to the suit, the hotel had given them a bracelet for free drinks, and as the day wore on, the hotel bartenders poured, served, and encouraged most guests to consume hard liquor shots that were handed out at will without regard to guest safety. In many instances, the hotel bartender not only served these shots, but encouraged the patrons to become extremely intoxicated. So the suit is basically claiming the resort is at fault for overserving, which I can't fully agree with because I'm a firm believer that everything you do is a choice. And that includes consuming alcohol responsibly. But I think if the police had done their jobs, Jamie Snow probably wouldn't be suing. The suit claims there was carelessness on the part of the travel agent and the hotel in failing to inform guests about the risks of Cancun and not securing the areas within the hotel from the outside and not contacting the police about the incident on time. I fully agree that the police should have been contacted right away. And I also agree that the hotel should have had better security and they definitely should have had working cameras on both properties. 
but I do not think it's the responsibility of the travel agency to inform people of the risks where they're going. You can and should always Google the risks that are present where you're going, and I hope most people do that anytime they travel. The lawsuit claims the couple was told Cancun was safer than places like Paris and Las Vegas, which would not be true. That's something the couple could have looked up on their own. And I did Google it. While looking at the top 50 cities in the world with the highest homicide rates in 2021 on Wikipedia, 17 Mexican cities were included in that list. Nine of them in the top 10, with just New Orleans coming in at number 8. Cancun was on there at number 29. Even though these cities are considered among the most dangerous, it depends on what you're doing in that city. I've been to many of these top 50 cities and have felt totally safe, and I'm a female traveling alone. Elijah Snow was a father, a husband, a firefighter, and a human being who was found dead on what should have been an amazing vacation with his wife. As the case stands now, it is closed, according to Mexican authorities, but most people, including his family, believe he was murdered. What we know for sure is that Elijah Snow was found dead at approximately 7 a.m. in an 18 by 18 inch window in Cancun, Mexico. The question is, what happened? To figure that out, we'd need to know what happened when Elijah got in the stairway to go to his room. The Mexican authorities said Elijah left the hotel property, perhaps on a walk, and was in search of a bathroom when he found the abandoned hotel. He came across the boarded up window in the hotel, found a crowbar laying nearby, pried off the board, and then attempted to crawl through it in search of a bathroom. While attempting this, he got stuck in the hole and died. That story is absurd. First of all, he got in the stairway to go to his room, so why would he have gone outside? Second, if he did go for a walk and had to use the bathroom, why wouldn't he just go outside? Third, how would he possibly know there was a window behind those boards and a bathroom behind that? And how did he even find the crowbar to pry off the boards? Beyond that, I've seen the crime scene photos and I don't believe he was stuck in the window. His shoulders were all the way out and he could touch the ground with his hands. He could have crawled out, and if he needed more leverage, he could have kicked his legs up and used the shower head that was in the bathroom to push himself out. Also, his body was badly beaten. There's no way he got all those marks, including bruises in the shape of a shoe print, from getting stuck in a window. Elijah's wife thinks he went for a walk along the beach and was attacked, possibly by several people since he was a big guy and he could fight. She thinks he was hit in the back of the head and held down, then stomped and beaten with some sort of cylinder tool. After the assailants thought he was dead, they took him to the abandoned property and tried to hide his body by shoving him through this window. She thinks that he probably came to and tried to climb out and save himself, and that's when they grabbed the dirt from in front of the window and used it to suffocate him. He had about $100 on him that night that was not found with his body. His wedding ring was still on in the crime scene photos, but was never returned to her. Gift cards and credit cards from Elijah's wallet were returned after his body was released. I think Jamie's theory is close to what happened. The only problem I have is that we see on the video he went to the staircase and was going up, which means he was headed to the rooms. Nowhere does it show him headed outside of the hotel. So her theory is missing the motivation for him to turn around and leave the hotel when he was clearly headed to the room. But she does know him better than I do, so maybe he liked to go on late night walks along the beach. I think the criminals were lying in wait for an opportunity in that stairwell. Possibly anyone that entered that stairwell that night would have had the same outcome Elijah did. 
It's possible the assailants were waiting to rob someone or maybe kidnap someone in part of a bigger kidnapping ring. And when they tried to rob or kidnap Elijah, he fought back and things went south. Elijah was a fireman. He was a fighter and he was strong. And I have no doubt that he would have fought back. Another theory is that Elijah actually stumbled upon a crime being committed in the stairwell. Perhaps someone else was being kidnapped or assaulted and he stepped in to help. I think that's entirely possible because again, he was a firefighter. It's in his blood to save people. Or he could have come across a drug dealer and the dealers thought it would be easier to just get rid of him rather than risk the chance of him talking. Although I don't think the stairway is the best place for criminals to wait because how many people on vacation are going to take the stairs to the rooms? But the stairs do make sense because it would be harder to rob someone in an elevator, especially because there weren't cameras in the stairwell and there usually are in elevators. There are other theories. Maybe Elijah met a working woman at the bar and was not actually headed to his room, but her room instead for a rendezvous. And when he got there, it didn't go as planned. But I doubt Elijah was looking for a good time with a working girl while vacationing with his wife. Maybe because he had been drinking, Elijah went up those stairs but got off on the wrong floor, somehow made his way into another room, and it was a crime of opportunity, or someone attacked him out of fear and he ended up dead. Although, being that he was at a resort, housing a bunch of people on vacation, I doubt someone had the means to kill him. Another far-fetched theory is that he met a couple earlier in the day and then linked back up with them after a few drinks for a good time, but things took a turn. A fight broke out, got out of hand, and the couple disposed of his body in the abandoned building next door. But most couples planning a threesome with a stranger at a Mexican resort don't end up murdering their third. He could have met up with some drug dealers to buy recreational drugs to keep the party going and things got sketchy, but I doubt it because Elijah was a very health-conscious, safety-conscious firefighter. He is not the type to be buying drugs anywhere, much less at a Mexican resort. In reading the comments under some of the news stories, there were a few people that thought Elijah's wife had something to do with his death, mainly because so often it is the spouse. But I don't think that's true in this case. I think Elijah and Jamie were very much in love and she had no part in any of it. In my opinion, the most likely scenario is that for one reason or another, there were criminals in that stairway waiting to rob or kidnap someone and they came across Elijah and he fought back. During the scuffle, he was overtaken by several people and then they either walked him out using force or weapon or they incapacitated him and carried him out. During the assault, they beat him to death or thought they did. They wanted to dispose of his body somewhere away from the hotel and thought the hotel next door would be a great spot because it was abandoned and secluded. Crime happens everywhere, but it shouldn't discourage people from traveling. I know a lot of people out there think Mexico has a bad rap, but I can tell you I've been there many times and I've always felt perfectly safe. So how can you stay safe while traveling to Cancun, Mexico? Let's cover some tips and tricks. First of all, when you go to Cancun, you'll get an immigration form to fill out when you land at the airport. Remember to bring a pen because they won't give you one on the plane. Once you exit customs, you'll be given back the bottom portion of the sheet, which is the exit portion. Do not lose this little slip of paper. If you don't have it to give to security before your flight home, you will be fined $60. Also, don't forget bug spray. Mosquitoes will probably be the most violent things you'll encounter while in Cancun, but believe me, they are out for blood. So pack plenty of bug spray. Along those lines, don't forget the sunscreen. And when buying sunscreen, please, please, please make sure you get a coral reef safe brand because the wrong ones really mess up the ecosystem. 
I like the ThinkSport SPF 50 plus mineral sunscreen, but of course there's lots of others too. To be safe, do your own research on how to get around town. Booking your transportation ahead of time is always a great idea. If you're staying at a resort, they'll usually have shuttles to pick you up from the airport, but you can also book taxis and private transportation before you arrive. If you are going to grab a taxi at the airport, make sure you agree on a price before you get in. I once got robbed of $100 in Mexico City from a five-minute taxi ride because I didn't ask for the price when I got in. And when my driver asked for the money, I did just end up paying it because my safety is worth so much more than $100. Also, make sure the taxi driver has an official permit displayed in a visible location. And if you're wondering, the driver that took the $100 from me was a real taxi with a permit displayed, but he saw the opportunity to pull the scam and took it. While Uber works in Cancun, and I've used it there and I love it, it's technically illegal for them to pick you up at the airport. The way around that is to walk outside of the airport property to be picked up, but like always, do that at your own risk. There is a great bus system throughout most of Mexico, which I've taken and never had any problems, but I also consider myself a seasoned traveler. If you feel confident riding a bus, go for it because it's super cheap and really convenient. I also suggest using Mexican pesos instead of your current currency while you're there because you'll usually get a better price on things, especially when you barter. And although I usually use my credit card when I travel, some cards have fees when you use them out of the country, so you can avoid that also by carrying pesos. Another cool tip to remember is to keep your receipts. If you spend over 1,200 pesos in a single location, you are entitled to receive a percentage of your payment back as a reimbursement for the taxes paid. So when you get to the Cancun airport, go to the tax back kiosk to claim the refund on your purchases. Don't drink the tap water in Mexico. It's even a good idea to use bottled water to brush your teeth. This should be common sense, but don't get drunk alone and don't get too drunk whether you're alone or not. There have been cases of people getting really sick or blacking out from tainted alcohol, and that's produced in unregulated facilities, and it does make its way into the resorts. This happens because criminals, mostly organized crime, want to avoid paying taxes, so they use industrial alcohol that isn't taxed. They purchase these large quantities of industrial-grade alcohol and then either flavor it and ship it out or use it to cut into existing alcohol to increase their products. But industrial-grade alcohol is a lot stronger, so it can potentially raise your alcohol levels into the danger zone in just one drink. Also, industrial alcohols aren't distilled at the same level of purity as drinking alcohol, so it can have other chemicals that can be poisonous and deadly. Methanol is produced in industrial quantities and has been used to take alcohol in the past. Cancun has amazing beaches, but don't go in the water when the flag is red. They put warning signs up for a reason, guys. If you're swimming, be aware that there are rip currents in the water. If you do get caught in a rip current, first of all, remain calm. Second, get the attention of a lifeguard if there is one. And then swim to the side out of the current if you can, and you'll naturally be pushed toward the shore by the waves. Most violent crime in Cancun is due to cartel drug trafficking and doesn't usually involve tourists. So on that note, don't buy drugs in Mexico and you'll likely avoid the cartel. Don't go out alone, but if you do, stick to areas that are crowded and well-lit, and avoid deserted streets either day or night. The safest places to go at night include the hotel zone, the malls, and Isla Mujeres. Watch out for pickpocketers because you know they're everywhere, especially in tourist locations. Hopefully it's obvious, but don't wear jewelry or carry anything expensive with you. Leave it at home because you don't need it on vacation anyway. If you do get robbed, give them what they want and then just move along as quickly as possible. 
If you don't have much on you, then you won't feel bad giving it up and it could save your life. Whenever you're traveling, always inform someone about your plans before going anywhere. Tell someone reliable where you're going, what you'll be doing, and when to expect you back. And my number one tip to staying alive on vacation is to pay attention to your gut. If something doesn't feel right, it isn't. As we wrap this episode up, let's get back to Elijah Snow. Elijah Snow was a 35-year-old Caucasian man with short, dark hair. He was 5'9", 175 pounds, and extremely fit. He had several tattoos, one on his chest, each shoulder and arms, and on his back. The last confirmed sighting of Elijah was at the Royalty Chic Suites Hotel entering the staircase near the lobby elevators in Cancun, Mexico on July 18, 2021 at about 10.30 p.m. If you have any information about the death of Elijah Snow or saw him at any point between 10.30 p.m. on July 18th and 7 a.m. July 19th, 2021, please call the American Consulate in Cancun or your local police agency. And finally, remember to leave a review and rate this podcast five stars if you like the show or hell, even if you don't. But either way, feel free to let me know what you think. Please follow The Last Trip on Instagram at The Last Trip Crime Pod and subscribe on Patreon to support the show. You'll get extra research, videos, photos, and updates, and even learn about my personal travels. That's patreon.com slash The Last Trip Podcast. I'm Jamie Beebe, bringing you your last trip and signing off until the next one. Thanks for listening. Really important here are her tattoos. I'm the type of person that checks out other people's tattoos, so it's a thing I notice. Kiara has a tattoo of sunflowers on her upper right arm and a tattoo of praying hands just below her elbow, also on her right arm. I'll post some photos of her tattoos on Instagram at the last trip crime pod so you can all take a look. If you have any information regarding the disappearance or whereabouts of Kiara Henry, you are encouraged to call her family's tip line at 808-757-5102. Again, that's 808-757-5102 or the Maui Police Department at 808-244-6400. There is a reward for $25,000 for any information leading to Kiara and or leading to confirmation of what happened to her. And you can also go on the Find Kiara Henry Facebook page to get more information. And finally, remember to leave a review and rate this podcast five stars if you like the show or hell, even if you don't. But either way, feel free to let me know what you think. Please follow The Last Trip on Instagram at The Last Trip Crime Pod. And subscribe on Patreon to support the show. You'll get extra research, videos, photos, and updates, and even learn about my personal travels. That's patreon.com slash the last trip podcast. I'm Jamie Beebe, bringing you your last trip and signing off until the next one. Thanks for listening.